Well, good morning. For those of you who might not know it, my name is Thomas. I'm one of the pastors here with Christ Redeemer Church. I get the chance to preach uh, about once a month. And uh, so happy to be here to do that again with you, uh, be a part of that again with you this morning. Last month, um, I began a sermon series that's going to take us through the book of Ecclesiastes. So last month, that sermon was very, uh, basically just a general introduction to the book and kind of where we might generally be going in terms of a general theme. Today, we're going to go ahead and jump in chapter one and start at the top and start working our way through, uh, through the book. So if you have your Bibles with you, you can open up to Ecclesiastes chapter one. If you don't have a Bible and you'd like one, you can raise your hand and Greg Grotwald will make sure you get one. So Ecclesiastes chapter one. And we will read from there together. So Ecclesiastes chapter 1, we're going to be going verses 1 through 11. So the words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem, vanity of vanities, says the preacher, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. What does man gain from all the toil at which he toils under the sun? A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun goes down and hastens to the place where it rises. The wind blows to the south, goes around to the north. Around and around goes the wind and on its circuits the wind returns. All streams run to the sea, but the sea is not full. To the place where the streams flow, there they flow again. All things are full of weariness. A man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing nor the ear filled with hearing. What has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done, and there's nothing new under the sun. Is there a a thing for which it is said, see, this is new? It's already been in the ages before us. There's no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of latter things, or later things, yet to be among those who come after. Well, there was a study done recently that reported that... uh, Roughly one in six retired NFL players uh, file for bankruptcy very, very soon after they play their last game. Uh, Warren Sapp would be an example of this. Some of you might know who he is. Warren Sapp, Hall of Fame uh, defensive lineman. He had made more than $50 million in his career. And I think his, his career was about 13 years he filed for bankruptcy about five years after his last game. So there was all this work put into a 13-year career, and in the end, nothing. Bankrupt. So that, that story, I think, illustrates one expression of the, the vanity, or, or what we could call the futility that the, the writer has in mind in Ecclesiastes at, at several points during the book. And there are, there, are, ex, there are several expressions of vanity throughout Ecclesiastes, but this is a major one of them. It's this idea that, that, that we work and we move and we're busy and we just can't seem to do any more than just break even. We just, it, it's basically this, this treadmill experience of lights. Lots of arms pumping, legs going... Maybe we run five miles and we never leave the basement. It's just a treadmill experience. Or in Warren Sapp's case, 
13 years in the NFL, amassing $50 million, and in the end, lose it all. Gone. So from a certain perspective, from a certain perspective, when all things are considered, all the work we do in life amounts to a huge pile of nothing. Nothing. That's futility. That's, that's the particular uh, expression of futility that the writer is wanting us to feel in this, uh, in this part of, of the book, I think. And the reason why all of our work amounts essentially to a zero net profit is because eventually we die. Uh, now that gets hinted at in these verses. It's not super clear, but it gets hinted at, I think, in verse 4, where it says a generation goes and a generation comes, as it says there. But it gets uh, more explicit in chapter 2. In, uh, in chapter 2, he says, uh, the writer says that the, the wise person dies just like the fool. So I hated life, he says. He says, I hated all of my toil in which I toil under the sun, seeing that I must leave it to the man who will come after me. So really any measure of, of gain that we might enjoy in this life is really no gain at all uh, from a certain perspective. Because at best, at best, we can hold on to that gain for as long as our life. Maybe 80, 90 laps around the sun, we could say. Because we die. We all are going to die. That's the big elephant in the room. We're all going to die. And then what? Essentially, it's bankruptcy. And I think that really this is the main point that the, the author is trying to make in this section that we're looking at today. Namely, it's that our lives in general, but our work in particular or toil, as he calls it, amounts to a zero gain. People gain nothing. People gain nothing by all the toil at which they toil under the sun. That's his main point here, I think. And, and we see that in verse 3. What does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? That's a rhetorical question. It's, the, the assumed answer is nothing. Nothing. People gain nothing by all the toil at which they toil under the sun. Uh, Jesus asked virtually the same question in the New Testament. In Matthew 16, verse 26, he asks, What will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and he forfeits his soul? No profit from all of our toil under the sun. And that is vanity. That is futility at its core. Now that phrase, by the way, under the sun, in verse 3, really important for understanding uh, this sense of futility. It, it, it helps us to uh, really define exactly what is uh, a futile about our toiling for gain. And I think uh, Jesus helps fill it out a bit for us as well with his reference to our souls um, and forfeiting our souls. So the idea... I think of, of this phrase, under the sun, it is a, it's basically a certain perspective. It's a certain um, perspective from which the writer is making his point. And we're going to see this phrase come up a lot um, all throughout the book of Ecclesiastes. And it's referring really, again, to a certain perspective, a certain angle 
of seeing things from which really all, from that perspective, all really is literally vanity. It literally is futile from that perspective. And what is that perspective then? Well, I think in short, what it refers to is basically a perspective that is apart from God. It does not take God into account. It's, it's a view of, of ourselves and our world, with all of its various systems, apart from God. Or we could say, not mindful of God and his priorities. Or we could say, not fearing God. We could say that. Or, or taking Jesus' uh, Jesus's statement into account, we could say it's, it's not considering our souls in relation to eternity. It's what elsewhere the Bible actually calls a foolish perspective. This is, this is how the Bible essentially defines what it means to be foolish. It, it know, it's a perspective that knows God exists, and yet it doesn't account for him in making decisions. Or it doesn't account for eternity or for God's judgment. It doesn't, it doesn't account for God's character. It doesn't account for God's priorities or his designs and, and so on. And especially, in, I think, in this context... Um, of the, the verses we, that we've looked at, it doesn't account for God or eternity in the pursuit of material gain. It doesn't account for God in that respect. And from that perspective, again, uh, it's from that perspective that we can truly say that nothing can be gained from all of our toil by, uh, at which we toil. That's, that's the writer's main point here. Again, I think in this particular section, he's, he's saying that we just cannot hope for any lasting satisfaction in any material gain. Not under the sun. Not apart from God. And I think that he's probably scratching an itch. Well, I'm confident that he's scratching an itch in the original readers of, of Ecclesiastes, but I think he's probably scratching an itch in all of us as well. Uh, in, in, in the sense that we all want profit at one level. This is essentially what gain means in this context. It's, it's, it's leftover. It's what's profit, what's, what's there for net profit, we could say. Um, we all want that at some level. We all want a solid return on our investments. It's, and, and probably primarily, this is uh, thinking about finances, but I think in, in principle it can apply really to just life uh, in general. We, we all want some some sense of advancement through uh, life. We don't, we don't just want to kind of spend our life on a, on a hamster wheel. We're, we're happy to, to pour in all kinds of energy into certain work, but man, we want some return uh, on, that, uh, on that effort. And oftentimes, I think we're, we're thinking really in materialistic terms in this regard. So, so we, want, we want to gain more stuff, essentially. We want another vacation, we want a different house or a car or a cleaner house or, or a different backyard, in my case, or the latest tablet or, or video game or whatever it might be. And, uh, and we want things, we want those kinds of things because at some level, we really think that in some way they are going to provide uh, a measure of comfort. They're going to they're gonna comfort us, they're going to give us a sense of security or some other sense of of satisfaction and, and joy. And the writer, I think, wants to challenge his readers, I think, and basically saying again, listen, under the sun, from this under the sun perspective, not accounting for God, not accounting for eternity, you're not going to get anything. You're not going to get what you're looking for. No 
gain. So warning, he says, do not live for this kind of gain under the sun. Why? Because it's fleeting. Might be $50 million over 13 years, but then it's gone. And beyond that, eventually, you die. And then what? Huge question. Then what? Under the sun, apart from God, we don't gain anything from our life of toil. And he makes that point, I think, in verse 3. And then basically he goes on in verses 4 to 11, essentially illustrating that um, by analogy in various ways. So in verses 4 to 7, we basically see endless cycles of movement, but no real advancement. So five miles on that treadmill and you never leave the basement. You're not going anywhere. Whole generations going and coming and yet no lasting impact. Wind just circles around, never really going anywhere. Rivers run incessantly into the sea and then sea never fills up. It it just all really seems kind of uh, pointless really in the grand scheme of things because you're not moving anywhere. We're not making any gains, no advancements, no profit. It just break even. That's basically what it comes down to. That's the sense, I think, of all of this. And, and verses 4 to 7 are basically being used, I think, to say, this is what life is like. Welcome to it. This is life. Lots of motion, no real progress, or we might say, again, 13 years in the NFL, toiling for $50 million, and five years later, bankrupt. Lots of effort, nothing really to show for it, at least from that certain uh, perspective. And then in verse 8, I think the writer basically reacts to all of this, and he he says, all things are full of weariness. A a man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor nor the ear filled with hearing. In other words, all of this this hard-working, repetitive motion with no real progress, frankly, it's tiring and it's boring. It's boring. This is, this is life. That's the result of all of our work. I wonder how often we just think that, that, you know, this is just boring. That's the sense of this, I think, that the writer wants us to feel. And then, and then he goes on in verses 9 to 11 then, I think, basically just reinforcing all of this. He says, listen, the, the sun goes up, it goes down, rivers into the sea, the wind, all kinds of this motion, no real change. Verse 9 then, nothing new. All of this stuff happening, and there's nothing new. No change, no advancement, no profit. Now, is there really nothing new? I mean, that's really nothing new? Verse 10 kind of poses that, that question. See, this is new. Uh, maybe an iPhone 6. I just recently kind of got onto that bandwagon. Is that new? Well, yeah, kind of, no. Not really. It depends a bit on your perspective. The first mobile phone call I I, I discovered uh, was made back in 1973. Alexander Graham Bell, I think his first uh, telephone was patented in 1876. So phones really have been around a while. Uh, Cell phones have been around a while. So from one perspective, not really new. And really, they're just innovations in communication. And communication... And innovations have been around basically since the dawn of man. So, again, one perspective, it's not, the iPhone 6 is nothing new. Um, at least not to give any real value or, or meaning that we're really longing for. 
And, uh, and so then the writer basically closes out his poem in chapter, or verse 11, and I think basically just expanding on what he mentioned back in verse 4, people and things come and go, and, and most of what they've done, let's face it, uh, in history is quickly forgotten, and, uh, and certainly at an individual level, I mean, the vast, overwhelming, uh, uh, overwhelming vast number of individuals in the world will be forgotten, and everything that we've done will be forgotten. So, thanks for the hard work, nice life, have a good day. I, I'll forget you, and you'll forget me. Um, that's the feeling here, and that's life. Again, from this perspective, uh, this perspective under the sun, this, this if we're not taking God into account with this, this rather repetitive world that we live in, not mindful of God and eternity or his, excuse me, his priorities, um, and so warning, do not live and work for this kind of gain under the sun in this particular way. So I think, again, that was the, the writer's word to his original readers, and I think that's the same word for us today as well, uh, at least in part. Again, there's a warning here for us. Don't, don't live and work for this kind of gain uh, under the sun. Because in the end, again, it's fleeting. A generation goes, a generation comes. It, it doesn't last. But more positively, if we want to state that more positively, I, I think this is also a, a point that's meant to spur us on positively to live and to work for what does in fact last. What, what, what is in fact true, literal gain. Because there is in fact much gain uh, to be had in our life, uh, in our work, um, not under the sun, not, not in that sense, um, not with no regard for God or no regard for eternity, but with God and with regard for eternity. Uh, and that should encourage us. This should absolutely encourage us to, in fact, live for that gain. Live for that profit. Work for that. Run after that. Pursue that. Toil for that particular gain. What will it profit a man if, if he gains the whole world and yet forfeits his soul? Answer, nothing. Nothing with, without regard for God and eternity. But with regard for God and eternity, Jesus would say, I think, Luke 12, verse 33. Luke 12, 33 says, Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. The problem is not that we, we would work for various gains. The issue is, is what kind of work and for what kind of gain. Jesus knows us very well. He knows that, that we do all want a measure of, of profit, uh, and we want what that profit would afford us in terms of um, maybe a sense of significance or a sense of, of uh, satisfaction or protection or just overall provision. We all want that, and, and really... That's not a bad desire. Those aren't bad desires in and of themselves. The problem with it, I think Jesus would say, along with uh, Ecclesiastes, is not so much that we have these desires. In fact, again, I would say this is, that's probably part of our basic uh, human nature is to have these kinds of desires. But the problem 
is, is that we pursue their fulfillment in the wrong things and in the wrong ways. So toil for gain under the sun is futile. It's, it's vanity because whatever gain that it produces is going to be totally short-lived. It's not going to last. So a person might gain the whole world. He might, might, might get all the power, might get all the money, all the pleasure that the world has to offer. But at best, it's only going to last as long as you live. And it's really not that long in the grand scheme of things. 80, 90 years maybe. And it's only going to last uh, that long. And then we die. And, and actually, that's a, that's a, a real possibility for all of us in this room actually today. It is possible that we would die today. It is possible. It's maybe not likely, but it's possible. And, and we need to be aware of that. We, we simply don't know when our time will come. Uh, in Luke chapter 12, Jesus tells a parable there to stress the, the point that our deepest, truest life simply cannot consist in the abundance of possessions, of, of material gain. Because, again, eventually we all die. And that could happen at the drop of a hat. And then there's eternity. So he spoke about this rich man whose crops were, were doing really well. He had a ton of crops. And so he thought, what am I going to do with all these crops? Uh, oh, I know, I'll, I'll tear down all my storage units. I'll, I'll build really big storage units. And, and I'm just going to keep gaining and gaining. I'm going to just fill up bigger and bigger barns. And he trusted in that provision, the provision of those crops. Basically to give him all he really uh, needed to have a, a full life. So I'm going to relax, he thought. I'm going to eat. I'm going to drink. I'm going to be merry. Uh, I got all I need. Well, God responds to him. God responds to that kind of thinking and perspective. Uh, Luke 12, verse 20. God said to him, fool. Again, you want to know what it means to be a fool? From the Bible's perspective, here's a good snapshot of it. Think like this farmer in Luke 12. Fool, this night your soul is required of you. This night. And the things you've prepared, whose are they going to be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. And so again, we could, we could gain the whole world. We might get all the power, all the money, all the pleasure that the world has to offer. But we could literally die today and we can't take any of it with us. And then what of our souls? Then what? Jesus pushes us to really ask that question. And he pushes us to ask specifically, what about our souls? What about eternity? What will it profit a man if he, if he gains the, the whole world and he forfeits his soul? Jesus is, is pressing us essentially to consider, again, eternity and, and then to adjust our priorities toward God in light of eternity. And in light of that, Jesus' concern is not what we might first think, like, well, okay, I guess I need, to just, I need to stop working for gain. I need to stop toiling for progress and advancement. No, Jesus' concern is not, I don't think, that we not work, that we not toil for gain, but again, it's that we would, we would actually work, and, and, and we would actually work hard, but that we would do that for lasting uh, gain, for genuine gain, for deeper gain, in fact, for eternal gain. 
So be concerned about eternity. I need that sentence right there in deep in my heart. I need to be more concerned about eternity and, and the gain that Jesus promises for us there. Will your toil, will my toil on this earth have served to secure any profit for us after we die? Because we will die. Jesus would say, provide yourselves with money bags in heaven, or that don't grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail. So Jesus says, do provide for yourselves. There is profit to be made, so maximize that profit. Just be mindful. Again, understand what kind of profit, uh, profit is Jesus talking about and concerned with, and how do we actually get that particular profit? So that, it begs those questions then, I think. Um, what is this uh, profit that Jesus might be talking about in terms of uh, heavenly treasure, money bags? Uh, sounds weird. Um, and then how do we get that? Good questions. So, Regarding the profit or the gain or the reward, we could say, um, I don't think that I could really say with all confidence, really specifically, um, what is the form of the profit or the treasure um, or these money bags um, in heaven that Jesus has in mind. I don't think I could say that in really, in really any great detail. But generally speaking, with regard to the nature of this gain. I would say that it is precisely what we're all really longing for. Namely, it's lasting, and it provides for us, and it protects us, and it satisfies us, and it helps us with a sense of significance. I mean, think about what the profit of our jobs um, basically get us here and now. Um, well, it, it provides our, our jobs, the, the profit we get from that provides for our basic needs. Um, it protects us from certain threats. It allows us to have a house that we can go into and be protected from thunderstorms, for example, or from intruders, um, where we can put things that we have accumulated. Uh, it affords us opportunities to have various satisfying experiences. This, this is what our profit from our job kind of provides for us. But a major issue with our profit here and now is what? It doesn't last. Ultimately, it doesn't last. And again, at best, it only lasts until we die. And again, then what? But the, the nature of this treasure in heaven, the nature of money bags of treasure in heaven, it's lasting provision for all of our needs. It's lasting protection against every threat. It's lasting satisfaction in every endeavor that we would take up and more. And if you are human in this room right now, you want that. You really do want that. That is precisely what you want. And, 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 and that is precisely the nature of this gain that is waiting for God's people stored in heavenly money bags, as strange as that sounds. And I, I don't know exactly what that might be for each of us individually and in, and in great detail, but again, whatever it is, it's most certainly not vanity because 
very opposite of the meaning of vanity here in these contexts is that it's not fleeting. It will be lasting. There, there, it is actual profit above and beyond what's put in. Uh, and in fact, it's eternal. Lasts forever. And, and, and we're going to get that treasure um, in the context of the community of God's people with God himself. God himself actually personally guaranteeing and securing that prophet. And uh, really, Jesus and the New Testament, uh, we've talked about this in various sermons over the last couple years, but just to, I think, remind us again, Jesus and the New Testament urges us to, in fact, work for that reward. Be motivated by it. Let it be an incentive to you to do the things of God, to, to, to Turn your life toward God and his priorities and pursue that and consider eternity in light of these rewards, in light of this gain. So, for example, in Matthew's, uh, Matthew chapter 5 and 6, um, you can go back and look in those chapters later, but for example, you'll see there that Jesus essentially offers heavenly reward. Again, whatever that is in specifics, I don't know exactly, but generally we, we do know, um, He offers heavenly reward as motivation, as incentive for things like enduring persecution, things like loving people that don't love you back, uh, giving to the needy, being generous with what you have, prayer, fasting. Jesus says, be motivated to do these things by a reward that is laid up for you in heaven, a, a gain, a profit for you in heaven. Colossians 3, verse 24, the Apostle Paul, I think, offers a heavenly reward as incentive, essentially, to, to really work hard for, in our jobs for Christ, rather than merely to work for our employer. Um, he offers heavenly gain for that, uh, if, if, as a motivation for that. Um, Ephesians 5, Paul essentially uses this, this heavenly reward to motivate a grateful and a pure lifestyle, uh, as opposed to um, sexual immorality or covetousness or things uh, uh, like that. And so there is much profit to be gained by all of our toil by which we toil with God and with eternity in mind. And, uh, and the Bible urges us to go and get it. So how do we go and get it? How do we work for that kind of gain? Well, um, at one level... We don't, at one level. Uh, we, we really have to understand that, um, at one level, the most basic experience of this profit, of, of this profit of, of lasting provision and protection and significance and satisfaction at its foundation, this is simply a gift of God that's part and parcel to our salvation. Okay? That comes with salvation, which is an absolute gift of God. And that's not worked for, but rather that is received uh, through faith in Jesus. So the Bible says that because of our sinful nature, um, actually left to ourselves, um, there is a reward for that, and it's called punishment. It's wrath. There's, there are actually wages that we can earn for our life lived under the sun, apart from God with no accounting for God and his priorities and eternity. And it's punishment for eternity. 
Um, Ephesians 2 says that's, that's where we're at in our natural state. We're naturally, amazingly, uh, children of wrath. Uh, a, a difficult uh, concept and idea I, I know for our culture today to consider. But because of God's mercy, because of his love, whoever trusts in Jesus then is saved from that, that wrath. And so Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, um, we don't get the gain that we actually deserve from all of our toiling under the sun. But by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, but it's the gift of God so that nobody can boast about that. Nobody can boast. It's, it's, it's not the result of works at all. So insofar as, as heavenly treasure is, is part and parcel of our salvation, well, we don't and we can't do anything to work for that. But Ephesians 2 does go on to say, uh, in verse 10, we are his workmanship. He worked to create us in Christ Jesus for good works. So we do work. We do work. But our efforts in that regard come out of our salvation rather than the other way around. And so um, Jesus has already done everything needed for, for us to experience the, the basic joy of eternal life with him and his people and all that comes with that. That's all for us if we will trust Jesus for it. But he gives opportunity as well to maximize that joy, to multiply that joy, like you would any investment over the long haul. He gives us opportunity to increase the measure of, I think, that satisfaction and that joy. Maximize that profit, we, we could say. So, assuming a starting place of salvation in Jesus, out from that experience then, again, the question, how do we toil for these money bags of treasure in eternity? How do we, how do we maximize our, uh, this profit of joy? Well, I think that um, the passages that I've already mentioned, Matthew 5 and 6, Colossians 3, Ephesians 5, um, I think they actually give us a good, a good uh, basic answer to that question. Um, emphasis on basic. Uh, basic answer there. So, and I think it would be this. Uh, work, how do we get that gain? Well, we work for, uh, for that gain by doing the things for which the Bible motivates that heavenly reward. Okay, so for example, endure persecution. The Bible motivates that action with reward. So how do I get that reward? Do the action. Do what he says. Uh, again, these are from Matthew 5 and 6. Endure persecution. So be courageous. Declare and demonstrate the gospel with clarity, with boldness. Um, and, and endure the persecution that you most certainly will receive. That will get you reward in heaven. Love people who don't love you back. Love your spouse when he or she doesn't love you back. Love your children when they don't love you back. Love your, your, your coworker. Love your neighbor. Love your classmate when they don't love you back, especially when they don't love you back. And, and there'll be reward stored up for you in heavenly money bags. Give to the needy. Be generous with your with your uh, time, be generous with your skills, be generous with your um, money. 
That will get you reward in heaven. Uh, Pray. Fast. These are things that Jesus says to do, and he motivates us with with our reward. So do these things. These examples, I think, just basic examples of, of what Paul would call good works, I think, too. You could think of it in those terms. We're certainly created for Christ, uh, for good works. What good works? Well, those things of Matthew 5 and 6, I think, are good examples. They're not the only thing that would be involved with good works, but they'd be examples. These are some of the things that, that uh, some of the good works for which we are created in Christ Jesus to do. Or from Colossians 3 again, work in your jobs, being mindful of Christ. Uh, Not merely working for your boss, be mindful of Christ. Consider that Jesus is right there in the room with you, right in your face, giving you your tasks for the day and work accordingly. Do that and there will be deposited for you a reward securely in heaven. Or Ephesians 5 again, Don't just avoid impurity. Don't just avoid covetousness. But actually pursue sexual fidelity, sexual morality, uh, generosity. Just an overall godly life. A life that's, that's ever more submitted to Jesus and his priorities. His priorities in your home, his priorities in the, the local church, his, his priorities in the world in general. Do that. Labor for that. Work for that. Toil for that. And there will be reward for you in that. Um, all of these, I think, uh, are some examples, I think, of, of what it looks like to lay up treasures in heaven. And I even say that, listen, I don't think I totally understand that, okay? But I think as much as I've said is true in itself. But I don't exactly understand all the ins and outs of it. Um, but these are examples of what it looks like to lay up treasures in heaven. And, uh, or, as Jesus would say, to be rich toward God. These are ways that we can be rich toward God. Um, that's very much a not-under-the-sun kind of perspective. Very much the opposite. Um, and, and as Paul would say, that kind of a perspective, that kind of motive, uh, would very, very much adds value and purpose to our work. Uh, in, in 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty eight, Paul says, Be steadfast immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Quite the opposite of what we get from Ecclesiastes. Because Ecclesiastes is coming at us with this perspective of under the sun, that it's, it's, it's life not in the Lord. But in the Lord our labor is not in vain. So, This section in Ecclesiastes 1, it makes the point, I think, and it illustrates it in various ways. It makes the point that there's just nothing to be gained by all of our toil at which we toil. And that's true from the perspective of under the sun. That is, apart from God. Not mindful of eternity or uh, God's promises. So be warned. If, If you are looking for your work to provide for you bigger barns, more resources in order to help you eat, drink, and be merry with no regard for eternity or no regard for, regard for God's priorities and what he might have you to do with those bigger barns of resources, um, then it really is in vain. Uh, that's your life. It's a, it's a, it's a 
purposeless life. It's a futile life. It's a vain life. It's a wasted life. And it will actually be rewarded. It will actually, you will actually get paid for all that work. Um, And again, it's called God's wrath. It's called eternal punishment. That's That's the lot outside of the security of Christ and what he's done for us. So, um, be warned. I think that's a part of, of our, uh, what, what comes out of the passage for us this morning in light of Jesus in the New Testament. Um, that's life. Because even with a measure of satisfaction from any profit that we might establish, again, maybe an NFL career of 13 years and $50 million, it can't last. Ultimately, it's momentary. Ultimately, it's, it's fleeting. And, and then we die, and, and then what? Have we established any profit uh, for our eternity with God and with his people? Um, in fact, Jesus, or in Jesus, with God, your labor is most certainly not in vain. Most certainly full of purpose. We could say purpose. Purpose of purpose. All is purpose, we could say. Uh, in Jesus. So be urged then, work hard for, for truly lasting profit. Trust in Jesus for salvation. And then out of that, work hard to do good works from that experience of that relationship. Love those who aren't going to love you back. Be generous. Give to the needy. Seek out and work hard to pursue Jesus' priorities in this world. And get eternal profit for it. Get eternal profit. In other words, get eternal provision for all of your needs. Get eternal protection from every threat. Get eternal significance and satisfaction from every endeavor forever in that eternal community with God and with his people. Okay, let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word and um, for the opportunity to be a part of uh, contemplating it this morning, and I pray that you would help us to uh, grab a hold of anything that just came out of my mouth that was true. You would grab a hold of that, and you would push that deep into our hearts. Anything that's come out of my mouth that's not true, not helpful, Lord, I simply ask that it would fall away and, uh, and not be remembered. And I, uh, but we do ask for your help. Help us to pursue the good things in this life Uh, that you call us to, very mindful of your priorities, very mindful of uh, our soul's eternal state. In Jesus' name, amen.